The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Psalm 60 uh, helps us to give this voice that sometimes we have a hard time giving feelings to. And I think Psalm 60 will serve for some of us uh, as that song. It'll be that song of our heart. You know, it'll be that song that comes to us when we need it. And we're having a hard time expressing some kind of emotions. Or honestly, maybe we'd even rather ignore them um, and pretend like they're not there. So I think Psalm 60 is going to fill that gap uh, for some of us here. So um, at the very beginning of Psalm 60, if you have it open, you'll, you'll see sort of a introductory paragraph, which is kind of weird for scripture. You don't get that a lot. Uh, but at the very beginning, it says, for the choir director, according to Shushan Eduth, a miktam of David. So there's all this Hebrew mixed in here. So it says, a miktam of David to teach. When he struggled with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah and Joab returned and smote 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. So you and I are looking at that going, I don't even know what that means. Uh, just to put it in perspective, it would be as if, as if David was saying, hey, remember that time Ulysses L. S. Grant in the, in the Civil War had this great victory, but on the, on the other front, General Forrest was having a hard time with the rebels? This is that story. So it's kind of like that. David's uh, uh, telling us this time in, in his life when there was a great victory on the one hand, but there were great defeats at the same time. Um, and so he's talking to us from these events that happened in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And 2 Samuel chapter 8 is actually a list of David's victories. It's just this list of him uh, kicking rear end and taking names, you know, kind of a thing. And it's just this great victory uh, chapter. But then there's this bad event that happens, this negative battle that happens on the southern end of the, of, uh, the nation. And uh, um, it's, he experiences sort of a string of defeats on, on his flank, on the backside, right? So all of his attention is diverted and, and directed here on the northern end of a battlefield. And then literally on the southern end where Edom is, Esau, uh, is that country comes in and, and attacks him from behind uh, when he really wasn't looking for it. Um, so just a couple of things I want to just point out here. We're going to hit these throughout our time together. First of all, your enemy is looking for every opportunity to hit you when and where you least expect it. Your enemy is looking to come at you and to attack you when and where you least expect it. Secondly, how I see or how I perceive or how I process what I believe about difficulties doesn't change any of what God is intending. But it does change how I experience and cooperate with him or how I receive his blessings or how I miss his blessings. We talked a lot about that last week, so I'm not going to go rehash that. Um, but you and I are going to go through times of difficulties and defeats. The enemy's going to get the upper hand. We're going to go through those times. What I believe about pain and difficulty doesn't change anything about what God's doing, but it very well may change how I'm able to sort of receive what it is that God's trying to do, right? My uh, ability, my availability to respond well to what God is trying to do might be changed by how I perceive that. And then the third thing is that our victories, all of our victories here are incomplete. You win certain things here and God brings a particular victory into your life in an area here, but there's always some other battle. 
right? There's always some other place for me to fight. Even if you conquer your anger, let's say that's your besetting sin is anger, and you conquer that. If you conquer your speech, if you conquer your lust, let me just ask you, how are you doing on greed and jealousy and cynicism and hatred? And we celebrate those things that we win, we have victories over, and we ought to, and we ought to celebrate more than anybody else because the Holy Spirit empowers us to have victory in our lives. So we ought to celebrate those things. But we need to just remember we got to rely on grace for our struggles that are coming today, right? That we have these places we've won these awesome, mighty victories, but we also have other battles that are going to come in ways we're not expecting, and we're going to have to rely on more grace today for that and then give grace to those people who are struggling themselves. So that's kind of what David says. This is the setting for this psalm. This is what's going on in his life as he writes this psalm. So again, we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, there's in life, and we need to get ready for this and, and be prepared for this, that there's really no such thing as just smooth sailing, right? There's really no such thing as just a time when everything is perfect and right, right? You can have a particular time in life when maybe you have a little less clouds and rain than you had last week or a little less waves than you had last week, but there's probably some other problem, difficulty, attack from our enemy that's going to show up even in the middle of the times that we're celebrating something. There's really no time of absolute perfect sailing in this existence. That is not defeatist Christianity, right? That's New Testament Christianity, right? We're, we're talking about a living out our relationship with God in a world that's broken, right? In a heart that's broken, in sinful place with sinful people, and an enemy who is out to destroy us. There's really no time of just absolute smooth sailing. Just a little bit less junk this week than last week. And he gave me victory over that this week than I didn't have last week, right? But there's some other battle that's probably coming our way. If we assume if we think that the whole point of existence on this earth is for things to be smooth all the time, you're just going to set yourself up for more and more disappointment and more and more pain. Because disappointments and victories and battles and defeats are coming our way. So we kind of need to be ready in our minds for that, right? And that the part of our mission, part of what God's called us to, is a struggle. It's a battle. All that language is all over both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That we have been called into this cosmic battle with God, at the very least, against the forces and, and the agents of evil and then the enemies, the, the evil that's even inside myself. So there will be a struggle as I go through this. And here's what I want to tell you. Some of us are just beat up. Like we cannot put our shield, we can't pick our shield up. I can't pick this stuff. I can't pick my armor up today. I cannot put my sword in my hand again. Here's what I want to tell those of us who are here. So some of you are young and you're like, wow, Pastor Judd's really cynical and really pessimistic. Here's what I want to tell you. Listen, just welcome to the war. Welcome to the war, guys, right? Christ did not ever promise us nor call us into something that's less than a battle, right? And we have to be ready in our minds. Today, Ephesians chapter 6 is going to be my passage. And I'm going to pick up the armor of God and put on the helmet of salvation and pick up the sword and get on the line and fight. And we have to be ready for that to be part of our story as we go through this life. Victories, but also 
It's a battle. We need to be ready for that. Look at verse 1. David begins to talk to us here. He says, Oh God, you have rejected us. You have broken us. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. Now, there's a lot of crazy, awesome, amazing theology here, and we'll probably try to dig into it just a little bit. But I just want to begin with this. Ask yourself this question. When difficulties come, when when attacks come my way, the enemy comes at me, maybe a defeat has come into my life, how am I responding to that? How do I respond to these kinds of defeats? I don't think it matters whether that defeat is potentially of your own doing, which we'll talk about that just a little bit. Sometimes we have responsibility in our defeats. So whether it comes through that or just the attack of the enemy, how are you responding to it when an attack comes your way, when a defeat comes into your life? David, in this psalm, over 20 times, David calls out to the Lord. More than 20 times in these 12 verses, he calls out to the Lord, and he's acknowledging God's control. He's appealing to God's power. He is urgently calling out for God's salvation. So the very first thing I want to point out here, again, we talked about it a little bit last week. I'll approach it a a different way this week. First of all, how do you respond to these kinds of attacks in your life? I want to ask a second question. Who are you ascribing ultimate control to? When difficulties, pains, defeats come into your life, who are you ascribing and giving ultimate control to? There's, There's a movie called The Patriot, Mel Gibson, and some of us have seen this. It's a great old movie. And in this movie, one of the, his boys gets killed by a British officer. And his oldest boy sort of takes up the mantle of seeking revenge for his youngest brother who died. And there's this scene where that son has now been killed by the same officer who killed his little brother. And as he's dying, he's, Mel Gibson's holding him in his arms as he's dying on the battlefield. And he looks at his dad and he says, Dad, I'm so sorry for my brother's death. And over, you realize that at, the, at this point in the movie that over these years that they've been fighting all these battles, that his son has carried the burden of responsibility for his younger brother being murdered. And Mel Gibson looks at him and says, Oh, son, oh, no, that wasn't your fault. That was mine. How many times in life are we walking around giving absolute ultimate control to someone who isn't in absolute ultimate control? And we're full of bitterness, and we're full of rage, and we're full of anger, and we're full of pain because we're pointing the finger of control at the wrong person. Listen, when you point the finger of control at the wrong person, it's not just that you don't blame the right person or you're blaming the wrong person. You're also looking at the wrong person for help to get out because the person who has ultimate control is the one who can get you out, who can deliver you, right? So when you go through these kinds of attacks and you go through these sort of these seasons of defeat in your life— Who are you giving kind of ultimate control for over those uh, times in your life? So that's one way we need to think about when when these things come. I need to give absolute ultimate control to the right person. I need to ascribe that to the right person. Second thing that, that happens to us is that we often have a hard time connecting our emotions and our feelings to a good theology. Because how many times has your emotions argued against what you know is right? You know, what you know to be true. Like, I know God says, but I really feel, (laughs) you know? And everything in you is arguing against good theology. And it's very difficult for us sometimes to marry those things together. 
where we even feel bad about feeling bad, right? Like I'm a bad Christian because I feel this way. And we don't know how to marry our feelings and our emotions and our experience of difficult, painful times to really good thinking about God. And we have a difficult time with that. So the second thing I would say is that as as these attacks come into your life, I want to remind you or point you to the fact that the Psalms, like the entire book of the Psalms, is an invitation from God to come into his presence and to have our hearts and our feelings and our minds transformed. This is one of the awesome things about the Psalms, is that there's never a correction for how anybody approaches God in the Psalms. And they approach God with some raw stuff. If you read the Psalms, right? They come to God with some really raw, bitter emotions that are just flowing in the book of the Psalms. And at no point does an angel show up or God show up in an editorial comment or the Holy Spirit show up and say, hey, don't talk like that. God really doesn't want to hear how bad your day was. He really doesn't want to hear how difficult this is. Can we just sing a praise song now? Right? Aren't you glad that the Psalms don't talk like that? Aren't we glad that the Psalms are just this kind of open invitation from God and God just like, hey, how's it going today? Oh, God, blah. You know, here's how it's going right now. I am in a season of defeat. I'm in a season of pain. I'm in a season of losing things. God, this is how it's going right now. It hurts, and I don't know what to do with this. Help me think right about this. So the Psalms is kind of this open invitation to come to God with our rawness, uh, what's really going on inside of us, and to have those things turned and transformed and changed, right? The Psalms kind of take us on a journey uh, from, I think, God certainly accepting all of our emotions that we can bring to him, but also having our minds and our hearts changed about how we feel, Right? Because just because I feel a particular way about something doesn't mean that that's the right way to feel about it. So I often need my feelings transformed. I need my feelings changed. But this is the awesome thing about Psalms and God, right? That he knows that. He, he invites us in with all of our junk and our emotions and our rawness and our ugliness. And God's like, hey, let me just tweak that a little bit. It's going to still hurt, right? It's still going to be disappointing. It's still going to be a time of defeat. I'm not going to take away the loss but I can change how you feel just a little bit. And I can change the direction of how you feel just a little bit. And I can help you end in a place of praise, right? So the Psalms is kind of God's invitation to allow us to do those things, um, to come into his presence, to acknowledge his control over things, to bring our emotions, and to let him begin to transform all of those things in our lives. So that's how we, one way I think that David's pointing out how we can respond to these defeats when they come our way. Look in verse 4. He says, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and answer us. So banner, I really want to talk a little bit about this idea of a banner. I think there's some pictures here. Beth, can you throw them up there? Same movie. There's this point at the end where uh, the big battle is happening. And uh, the Americans are losing this huge battle. And if they lose this one, they're going to lose the war. And the flag bearer runs away from the battle and drops the flag in the process. And Mel Gibson's character runs over to it and picks up the flag and runs to the top of the hill. And he's exhorting and yelling at the, the fellow soldiers, turn, turn, hold, stay true to the, to the cause fight the battle, and he rallies everyone to come and to fight and to ultimately to win. By the way, I didn't want to spoil the movie, but we won the Revolutionary War. (laughs) So 
It's kind of telling that story. Um, and so he takes that, ba- that flag, and it's literally the American flag, and he's just waving it with all his might, and he rallies people to him under the banner of this flag. So I just want to spend a little bit of time here talking about um, what this means for us. I believe, and I want to get too kooky here, but I believe that there is an actual banner that God is talking about here. Um, and it is the banner of the person of Jesus Christ. Um, that he is the banner that is being waved for us to come and to rally around. He says it's the banner of truth, is what he says here. So why truth? Well, I think several things. First of all, you have the word of God, right? That this contains truth, that it is a record of God's truth, um, that it is a revelation of God's truth to us. And so on one, on one hand, uh, I think that you have the, the, the word of God, right? Um, and there are promises that God has given us in Scripture that he waves for us when we're faltering. When the enemy is coming and he's winning and I'm losing and I know it and I can feel myself slipping into this place of defeat and dejection and sadness and disappointment and I just want to lay down and not fight anymore. He waves this flag of truth at me one more time to remind me of the promises that he's given me. Things like this, that when we are great, I am the greatest when I serve the least of those around me. That's a promise. When I, I find myself when I give myself up to God's ways. Jesus cares about my daily needs. You ever feel like he doesn't? God, I know you've got ISIS, and I know you've got you know, stuff in the Middle East, and we're going to run out of oil someday, and you've got all this stuff to worry about, God. But man, I need to pay my electric bill this week. I've got this health thing going on, and I don't know what's going to happen. It's a promise from God that Jesus cares about our daily needs, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus cares about that. If we trust in Christ, we have life with God forever. That's a promise from God. God is closer to us than we ever really know. Doesn't it feel like he's far away sometimes? The promise of Scripture is that he is with us, not just with us, in us. And he has unified us with his son, Jesus Christ. He is closer to you than you will ever know. Here's, our, our, or here's another uh, promise. Our present sufferings are light and don't compare to what God is doing in us through them. A lot of us don't like to hear that, right? We want to compare our sufferings to somebody else's sufferings and say, no, my defeat is worse than that defeat, and I'll never recuperate, I'll never recover from these things. Scripture says in at least two places in the New Testament, your light afflictions don't compare anything to what God is doing in your heart and what he's doing in your character. That's a promise from God. That the sufferings and the pains and the disappointments and the defeats we go to are working something greater in us. Our sins don't define us. Our relationship with Jesus does. Right? Like Cole's not going to enter the throne room in heaven one day and go, here's Cole. He played too much Fortnite. He wasted way too much money. And he had too much attention on girls. Welcome him to heaven. <laughs> right? We're not, def- we're not defined as a believer by our sins. We're defined as a believer by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you guys understand that? And many of us don't believe that. But that's a promise from God. That he doesn't see us in light of who we used to be or the worst thing we did today. I'm his son. You're his daughter. That's how he sees us. Guys, these are the promises that scripture waves in front of us and says, don't stop. Don't quit. This is the truth. Believe it. Stake your life on it. Amen? And he waves the banner of truth at us when we would rather quit 
in our defeats. In the Old Testament, this banner, so if you're a Jewish person, this banner would really, really make a lot of sense to you. We don't have a lot of banners and stuff anymore. But if you're a Jewish person, you're thinking Moses, that day that they're fighting the battle and he had to raise his arms, and every time he put his arms down, the, the enemy got a, a victory. And when he put his arms back up, and him standing on that rock with his arms raised was a banner for them, right? And they would rally around that and continue to fight. David, for them, is the king. He's God's anointed, and he's winning all these victories. David serves as the banner for people who are reading this particular psalm. Here's what they didn't know, but you and I know. David and Moses point to Jesus. They're just weak facsimiles of the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. You understand that? However cool and awesome it was that David did what he did and Moses did what he did, they are weak nothings with no power without Jesus Christ. And scripture now takes for you and me and holds up Jesus Christ as our banner. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the banner of truth in our hearts that God waves at us and says, don't stop fighting. Get up. Put on the armor. One more day, one more time, one more battle. Get up. Amen? And he waves the flag of Jesus Christ in our hearts. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And some of you are like, that doesn't help me, Pastor Joe. I need some more. Okay, here we go. Who's needed encouragement ever, like in your whole life? You just needed encouragement. Just put your hand up. Keep your hand up for just a second, okay? How many of you who needed encouragement found it? Like somebody spoke encouragement into your life. Most of us, right? We needed encouragement, and somebody gave us encouragement. Okay, Jesus. This is not hard, right? Who did you call that day, the, the minute you needed encouragement? Who did you email? Who did you text? Who did you call? And we rely so heavily on the rescue of men, right? We rely so heavily on the counsel of people when we're in a place of defeat. And that's awesome, and I think God puts those people in our lives. But ultimately, and we're going to see this at the end of the verse, people fail, we reach our end, like, I can't do any more for you. I can't help you anymore. Christ is the banner. He is the place of truth and hope for us to rally around when we would rather give up when we are falling and failing. I think that's the basis of a lot of our, our songs that we sing, a lot of our worship songs. And I think this might need to be the prayer song that some of you sing to yourselves today before you get out of here. Um, is the song of victory about Christ. And you need to say, Jesus, be my banner. I need you to wave the flag of truth in my heart because I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I don't want to fight any more fights. I don't want to fight any more battles. Be the banner of my heart. Rally my heart and my soul. The enemy is winning. Remind me of who I am. Remind me of who you are and what you have for me. Some of us need to have that prayer. That needs to be the song that you sing to yourself before you get out of here. So we sing like this. We sing, praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him shall I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. We sing this banner, right, in the worship songs that we have. There's another one by Christy Knuckles and David Crowder. She, they say, there is a name I call in times of trouble. There is a song that comforts in the night. There is a voice that calms the storm that rages. He is Jesus. Jesus Messiah, my Savior, there is power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. There is power in your name. The name that calms our storms, how tenderly his love transforms the hardest heart and the deepest shame. There is power, power in that wonderful name of Jesus. He is the master. 
the Prince of Peace. He is unchanging, the God who sees. He is Jehovah, mighty, trying to save me. He is Jesus, the name above all names, guys. You understand? We sing it. We have it in our praise songs. The Christ is the banner that God waves in front of us and says, fight on. Get up. One more day. One more battle. In the name of Christ, go on. Look in verse 6. He says, God has spoken in his holiness. I will exalt. This is now God speaking. God says, I will exalt. I will portion out Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. These are all uh, tribes in Israel. Moab is my washbowl. Now, Moab was one of their enemies. So he says, Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom, I will throw my shoe. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. So these last three groups of people, the Moabites, Edomites, Philistines, are all the enemies of God. And he has something very specifically to say to them. These are images of God's victory that he's giving us at the end of those pa- that passage. At the beginning, he's like, listen, I'm going to lift up all these tribes of Israel and carry them to victory. And then I have these enemies that we have to deal with. You have the specific enemies, and I'm going to deal with them. So here's what he's given us, these images of what victory would look like over, over David's enemies. And he's saying, hey, I've got this shoe, right? I have this shoe um, that I'm going to throw over Moab and this washbowl, all that. And what he's saying is, is like, these are the most demeaning things I could do to somebody. I can't lower them anymore. So a washbowl would be you come in at the end of the day, you're wearing open-toed shoes and sandals, you've been traveling, walking all day, your feet are filthy. And he's like, hey, Moab, you're going to wash my feet. You're the lowest servant in the house. And you're going to wash my feet because you're an enemy of my people. Then he goes to this other group and says, hey, you've also chosen to pick on my people. I'm going to throw my shoe over you, which is basically God saying, I own you. I just, I own you. I've, I've claimed everything that's yours for me, and I'm going to give it to my people. So God just has this profound uh, declaration, I guess, of victory over these people. And it symbolizes God's complete victory over his enemies. Now, the New Testament, you're like, that's great. I don't have a Moabite in my life or Edomites or anything like that. I don't even know who they are. Here's the deal. New Testament, Colossians chapter 1 says, so that you and I, God's brought this victory to us so that you and I can live a life worthy of the Lord and we may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. That's either poetic niceness or it's true reality that God and Christ has bought that kind of victory for us. It has real significance. There's real heart change there. There's real power there. And all of that is yours and mine because of the work of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, you ready? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross of Christ, God has for all time declared his victory over every enemy that you have. Okay? And I'm going to say it that plainly without any asterisks on it. Every enemy you have on the cross of Christ, Jesus said, I own you. You've declared war on my people. I'm going to take everything you've got and give it to them. You guys understand that? Thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, he's given us the victory. Amen? He's declared the same victory over us. Amen.
He's declared the same victory over us. So I'm going to go back. This is messing Beth up big time. I want to go back to this. Whose banner are you hiding under? What banner are you rallying to? Now, those of us who are a little bit older, I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, ouch, that stings a little bit. Some of us have voted Republican for the last 40 years of every election we can imagine. Have the Republicans ever, have they ever gone back and repealed Roe v. Wade? Whose banner are you hiding under? Democrats haven't cured poverty with great society for the last 60 years like they said they would. Whose banner are you hiding under? Joseph Pappas of Houston killed his mother's heart surgeon 20 years after she died on his surgery, his table. Whose banner was he hiding under? Some 24,000 people lost their jobs when Enron went bankrupt and belly up. Over $74 billion was lost on the stock exchange. Whose banner are you hiding under? Family, government, medicine, your company, retirement, religion, health, all of it is insufficient. It's the wrong banner. You're fighting the wrong battles. There is one banner that brings you victory in life. Do you understand that? Do we really get that? Do we really believe it? There's one banner. And God says, I'm waving the banner of truth in your heart, and it's Jesus Christ. Rally to him. You will fight and win at work. I'm totally believing this. You'll fight and win at work. You'll fight and win at home. You'll fight and win with your, your kids, your financials, all that comes in line as you rally to the, the truth of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. Every enemy that you have, every defeat that's come your way has been reclaimed by Jesus Christ on the cross. Thanks be to God that we have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Whose banner are you hiding under? Verse 9. Who will bring me, now David's talking again, who will bring me into the besieged city who will lead me to Edom? So he's like, who's going to take me to the final victory? Who's going to lead me into my enemy's territory? And we're going to declare victory. Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And he's like, God, listen, we've just been defeated. Who's going to lead us? If you're not leading us, who's going to lead us here? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we shall do valiantly. Maybe you need to highlight that. For through God we shall do valiantly, as it, and it is he who will tread down our adversaries. The point here isn't for false hope for today, but truth and hope that builds courage and sort of a determined staying power for today. Some of us have like, man, Pastor Joe, I've been sneak attacked. There's been a sneak attack in my life. I had my attention focused over here. I was fighting this battle and really kind of experiencing some victories here. Man, the enemy has come from behind, and he has attacked me in this place. Some of us have had that happen to us recently, and you kind of sense yourself slipping into despair and hopelessness and sort of a desire to quit. I want to encourage you again to look up to the banner of Christ and remember that his victory is in the past, but it's also in the future, and it's applicable to you now, right? There is a future victory of Christ that was won at the cross of Christ that you can live in now. You can live in today. Take up your sword. And for some of us, that means we just fall on our knees again. We're not even, we're so tired, we, we don't even want to pray. We can't even pray today. Man, I'm just encouraging you, rally to the banner of Christ, pick up your sword, fall down on your knees, dig into that relationship, stand up for what's right, 
Keep your eyes on the prize and keep walking toward the finish line. So, man, for some of you, I just this is it. It's all I want you to hear today. Do you have something or somewhere in your life or someone, and you're like, I need to do that again? I have experienced so many defeats there, and every time I feel like I'm doing good, I get hit from behind again, and it's a sucker punch, and I just fall down, and I'm done. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage somebody, dig in. Pray again. Fight today. Pick up that sword. Somebody needs you in the gap. Amen? Somebody needs you to fight a battle for them today. Maybe it's not for you, it's for them. Get up and fight again today. Keep on in the hope that Jesus gives to us. All of us are going to sin royally. Right? Can we just admit it in here? All of us, we're going to just sin big time at some point or another. We're going to carry around all kinds of just deeply sinful things in our hearts. And our enemy will use that as an opportunity to attack us when we're not paying attention. Some of us give Satan an opening in our sin, and it can be so overwhelming and it seems so powerful. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but have you experienced that sin in your life? Or you've... you've uh, uh, done something sinful or had a sinful thing going on in your heart and experienced a defeat because of that, and it feels like, oh my gosh, I can never beat that. Like, that is an undefeatable giant in my life. I will never have victory in that area. And most of us have probably walked through something like that, um, whether it's overt sinning or a sinful, you know, attitude of our heart, disposition in our heart. We've kind of carried that around, and it seems so amazingly powerful Christian, here's what I want to remind you of that we see here in verse uh, 10 and 11. He's like, God, who's going to lead me to this place of victory? Haven't you rejected us? And then he says, oh, God, give us help against our adversary. Um, Through God, we shall do valiantly. And it's God who will tread down our adversaries. For some of you, man, that you need to remember that. Here's the deal. When we come to God, we've sinned. We are the ones who messed up. We have invited Satan in. We've opened the back door for him. And he took full advantage of it, okay? And he comes in and he attacks us. Here's what I want to remind you of, Christian. When you confess and you repent and you go to God and you call on him, he fights for you. He's fighting your battle for you, right? Not in the middle of my sin necessarily as I'm willingly participating with my enemy, but as I come out of that and wake up and go, oh my gosh, I'm sinful, I'm jealous, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm hateful. When I'm harboring all that stuff and I come to him and I confess it to him and I lay it down in him, he fights for you because you are his. You belong to him. His reputation rests on what goes on in your life. He says that clearly throughout scripture. He wants you to have these victories in your life. You are his and he can no more forever reject you than he can reject Jesus Christ. That is the ticket that you get to get into heaven is the person of Christ and he can't reject Christ. And if you're his, he can't reject you forever. And when you come to him with confession and repentance, he, he steps in. He's like, I got this. Pick up your sword. I'm going to let you do some cleanup work. I got this. And he fights that battle for us. When we are finished fighting against God, he fights for us. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may, may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. He steps in and he fights those battles for us. So much of this... Uh, being able to stand up and stand under 
those kinds of attacks and defeats come from two places. I think one, just a commitment to stand. Some of us, some of us are just naturally disposed to not fight. <laughs> We're just sort of given to like, oh, this is really hard, you know? And that just because something's hard, it's not worth doing. I think you'd find out the opposite's true. Generally speaking, the best things are the things you fight hardest for. Um, so some of us just need to get up today and we need to have a, a commitment to stand. Like, I, and I mean it. I mean, you need to be just that clear about it. And you kind of start the day with God. No matter what happens today, I'm going to stand. No matter what the enemy does against me today, I'm just I'm going to stand. And you're like, well, Sanders, that's stupid. That's like super simple. Ephesians chapter 6. He goes, put on the helmet, pick up the sword, take up the shield, put on the feet, gird up, blah, 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 blah do all this stuff. And then what does he say at the end of chapter 6? Having done all, Stand. Stand. Stand up. And some of us just need to make that commitment. We need to just renew that. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to quit fighting. I'm just going to stand up. It may take all that I've got, but I'm going to stand up today. So that's one thing. Secondly, I also think we need to value a little bit better that there's a gradual building up of stamina. How can David say what he says in verse 12? That through God we're going to do valiantly and it's God who's going to tread down our enemies. Because this isn't the first time that he's been here. This isn't a one-off case for David. He's walked this path before, right? He'd been in these kind of positions before throughout his life. Bears and lions come to maul his sheep. He had to fight them off. He defeated a, uh, defeated a little midget guy, Goliath. He defeated a giant, Goliath. He faced down King Saul. He faced down the death of his best friend, Jonathan. He hid in caves. He ran for his life. He did what was right. And all that time, God is building stamina in him. The entire time, God is building perseverance in him. And some of us, I don't like it. I don't like it at all when God teaches me stamina. Because that just means the next trial was harder than the one I just got out of. But he's building in me the ability to stand, to get up and to stand again in faith on him and in him, but to stand. And he's taking these opportunities to build these things in me. And he says, because of what God's doing in my life, because he's totally in control, I know the enemy has come in, but God's control, I'm going to call out to him. He says, through God, we will do valiantly. I love that. I spent a lot of time on that, looking that up this week. Basically, that little phrase means, we don't use that word valiantly a lot. It means, we, he says it this way, we will gain the victory. We shall perform with valor. We will do mighty things. Different translations put a little different spin on it, right? We will conquer. We will win. The message says it this way. Give us help for the hard task. Human help is worthless. In God, we will do our very best, and he will flatten the opposition for good. Amen. We will do valiantly. Some of us are under attack. Right now, this morning, even in this place, our minds are under attack. Our hearts are under attack. We don't feel like we're ever going to get up again. There is help for you. There's a blind spot somewhere, and the enemy has snuck in. He's hit us in a place we weren't expecting. Sometimes it's a blind spot of our sin. We think we can sin, and it won't have any effect on anybody else or our lives. I can kind of encapsulate it and put it over here, and it's not going to do any damage. And then it just begins to leak out from the back, and the enemy comes in and wreaks havoc in our lives. Some of us are in pain. We're suffering defeat because of our sin. Some of us are having this difficulty right now because of just a blatant attack of evil forces in our lives. 
And it's come from behind, from the place we least expect it. Here's what I want to remind you. We'll be done. There is mercy, help, and victory in Jesus Christ. He is our banner, right? That, that little phrase there, he is our Jehovah Nisi. And some of you know that, that Hebrew. He's our Jehovah Nisi. That word, the first person to call God our banner, Jehovah our banner, was Moses. And he gives that name to the altar that was the victory of their place over Amalek. So when Moses is fighting and he has his hands raised and he puts them down because he's tired and the victory comes to the, the uh, enemy and they prop his hands up on stones so that he can keep his hands up, you know, long enough for the people to win. When they win that battle, Moses builds an altar and he says, God is Jehovah Nisi. He is our banner that we rally behind. We would rather quit. He is the banner that we rally to when it feels like we're going to be defeated. Now your heart is that place. The altar to God is in our hearts. The altar to Jehovah Nisi is in you. So listen, look back at the cross, and I want you to look forward to heaven and know that inside I can worship Jesus and I can lift him up and I can see him right now with us. He is our banner. And I hope we've done a good job of lifting him up for you today so you can see him and rally to him. What does this look like in real life? In real life, I read across a story, 1932, a pastor of a very small church, his wife passed away. I think they had three kids, four kids at the time, and they were young people. And they're at the funeral, and he asked a friend to come in and preach the funeral for his wife's service. And while he's there on the front row and the pastor's preaching, he is scribbling notes. And the pastor looks at him and says, you know, I think his name was A.M. Overton. So Mr. Overton, is there something you'd like to share? And he hands the paper at his wife's funeral to the preacher. And this is what he wrote down. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But I know in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may, may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead for he knows the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much now that I cannot see, my eyesight is far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. This is what we're talking about. This is real life. The enemy has come and sucker punched you in the worst place you can imagine. Come from behind and just sneak attack you in some way you never expected. And it is devastating. And you feel like you're not going to get up again. You feel like there's no hope for victory in your life. Here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning before we get out of here. Do your work with God. But do your work with God in light of the victory of Jesus Christ. We don't call on him to help us in our battles from a place of defeat. We don't call on him in our battles from a place of, oh man, I hope God can do something about this. It's God, I know you've won. Will you give me the resources I need today? Amen? It's just a whole different way of approaching God. Confess to him. Some of us, this is a sin issue. You're being devastated by the enemy right now because you are, you are entertaining sin. And you've opened the back door for the enemy to come into 
And some of us just need to come and confess and call on God to fight for you. God, I can't beat this enemy. I've, I've welcomed him in my life through my sin. I need you to come in and fight for me. Be my banner. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe this is your prayer. God, I have been sucker punched by the enemy. He's coming from a way I didn't expect. He's attacked me. I'm suffering this defeat. Maybe it's my sin. God, I need to confess a sin. I do. There's really no question. I know I've sinned. I've harbored sin in my heart. I've overtly sinned. God, I need to confess. I need to repent. I'm not going to beat this enemy. Fight for me. Fight for me. I'm going to run to you this morning. I'm running to you right now, and I will fight under your banner. I will trust in you. And God, with these people around me right now, God, we're going to lock arms, and we're going to fight with valor. Amen? Some of you are not fighting with valor. You're fighting with cowardice. You're fighting to quit. You're fighting to get it over. And you got to stand up today wounded and hurt in battle and fight with valor. God, we will lock arms and we will fight this fight with valor and courage all under your control and your grace and your victory. Some of us need to just sing, sing Psalm 60 to our soul. It's a lot of S. Sing Psalm 60 to our soul, God. You're in control. I've been attacked. I feel like I'm going to lose. Who's going to lead me? God, you're going to lead me. You are the banner of truth, Jesus Christ. Save me. Save me from my sins. Save me from myself. Save me from the enemy. I will get up today and I will stand and I will fight valiantly. Nobody's looking around. I want to pray for some of you. If you would say that's kind of where you're at. It's a place of defeat. It's been hard. You've got some sin. You want, to, you want to stand today. You want to fight valiantly when you haven't been. And this is kind of the turning point for you this morning. Would you just pop your hand up? I want to pray for you. Wherever you're at on this spectrum. You've got a sin you want to confess. You want to stand up and you want to fight. You've been tempted to quit. But you want to fight valiantly. You need to lock arms with someone and say, let's go. God, we have our hands up because we're weak. <laughs> we lift our hands up this morning because we're tired and we've just been beat up. And I don't, I don't know if we can get up on our own. Jesus waved the banner of Christ on the cross in front of my eyes and my heart. Remind me of the promises of God. Remind me of the victory that Jesus has already bought for me. In my heart and in my sins and in my soul and my desires. And God, I will stand. Would you say that to him? You got a family, relationships that's just busted. God, I will, I'll stand. You have a physical pain. I mean, here we go. You got physical sickness and illness. God, I'll stand today. I don't want to, but I will. In faith, I will stand. You've won the victory. God, you're good. You're gracious. You're kind. Even in these times, God, when we rebel... And we would rather quit. And we've let the enemy come in. We've given ourselves to him. God, today we confess and we are counting on you fighting for us. Fight for us, God. Fight for me. Let me stand up and fight with courage. Victory. God, bring that into my life this morning, God. I need it. I need it. 
Thank you, Jesus, for these promises. Thank you for this psalm. Let me sing it to my soul when I feel like the enemy's winning. Let me sing these verses to myself. I will stand and you will crush my adversaries. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen.